You're listening to the Right Mindset Podcast with Raquel Henry. This is episode 16. This podcast is sponsored by and associated with my writing studio, Writer's Atelier. I'm an author, editor, writing coach, and part-time professor who believes that mindset work is the cornerstone of writing success. Hi, all. Welcome to the first episode of 2021 and Happy New Year. More importantly, Happy New Writing Year. While I definitely haven't produced as many episodes as I thought I would for this podcast, we're approaching our one-year anniversary. January 24th will officially be one year since launching this podcast. So I'm going to readjust my thinking here a little bit and just give myself a pat on the back for sticking with it and keeping it going through 2020. There were definitely some tough moments for sure, but there were some good things as well. And I'm celebrating the good stuff and launching this podcast was one of them. I have so many great things and new guests planned for the new year. So I really hope you guys will stick around. Another thing I'm celebrating is that our accountability program, The Right Gym, is moving into its fourth year this year. So The Right Gym is one of the things I'm most proud about coming out of the studio at Writer's Atelier. I won't go on too long, but this program was actually created as a way to offer affordable coaching and support to writers. I was noticing that so many writers need the extra accountability in order to keep writing, you know, and stay on track. And they also needed the extra support to continue to work on their mindsets. And that's exactly what we do inside the right gym. We have weekly goal setting posts. We do weekly check-ins. We do a live video where I answer craft and publishing questions every month. And we also meet twice a week to write. So the wonderful thing is that you can do all of this online and you can participate in the membership from anywhere in the world. And honestly, I love this program and I love the community that we've created. Our writers have finished their projects, they've learned, they've grown as writers, and I just, I'm so thrilled to have it be part of the studio and to be part of their journeys, and I'm happy that it's still going. If you're interested in joining us, I'll put all the info in the show notes and you can check out the additional benefits. Um, the, the benefits I listed before, just some of the benefits we offer. Um, and we're actually doing some new things this year with guest speakers and it's going to be just awesome. So it's $15 a month and that price is going to go up later on in the year. So be sure to hop in if you are indeed interested. Now that leads me to my next point. I want to make a stronger commitment to elevating writers who have been part of historically marginalized groups in publishing. So you're going to see a series of initiatives in 2021 to do just that. Um, And these initiatives are all through Writers Atelier. The first thing we're starting with is a free year to the right gym to a BIPOC writer. So if you fall into that category and you are interested in joining the right gym, I encourage you to enter our giveaway and you will be able to find details on how to enter on all of our social accounts. Uh, Again, I'm going to link all of that below or in the show notes. Okay. We're also doing three other giveaways and I'm feeling rather generous at the start of the year. So (laughs) I I actually really do love giving away things. Um, So 
Our annual planner giveaway is gonna be going on on Instagram. We always give away planners in January to writers. And it's just, that's just a fun giveaway that, you know, we've just been hosting over the last few years. We're also going to be giving away a copy of our podcast guest's novel. So today's podcast guest will have a copy of her novel available for a giveaway. And you can find details about that at the end of the episode. And then we have another massive giveaway, which is the Start 2021 The Right Way Giveaway which includes writing gear, a subscription to Writer's Digest magazine, access to our on-demand class, The Right Meditation, and more. So that's those are three separate giveaways, and we're going to be posting all about them on our social platforms. We are particularly fond of Instagram, so I would definitely encourage you guys to head to Instagram to check all of this out. Again, I'll link everything in the show notes. Now, I couldn't be prouder of today's guest. You guys, Pamela and Harris is here. Some of you listening may have heard me mention Pam before. Uh, She was at one of our WA retreats and uh, she was there with her cousin Marquita, another talented writer to watch for. Both Pam and Marquita are my sisters from another mister and my critique partners. Basically, they're my writing partners in crime. So, I've seen every step of their journey. So when I tell you that it's a big deal, that Pam has a new novel coming out, it's a big deal. So I've watched Pam write and persevere until she finally reached the top of that mountain. And I'm thrilled for her and really glad that I got a chance to have her on the podcast and chat with her. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that journey and, um, you know, We'll interview her and and get her thoughts on mindset work. But here's a little bit of Pam's formal bio. Pamela N. Harris was born and somewhat raised in Newport News, Virginia, also affectionately known as Bad News. A former school counselor by day, she received her BA in English and a master's in school counseling at Old Dominion University, her MFA in creative writing at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and a PhD in counselor education and supervision at William and Mary. When she isn't writing, Pam is re-watching Leonardo DiCaprio movies, chasing after her toddler son, and pretending to enjoy exercising. When You Look Like Us is her debut novel. She lives in Williamsburg, Virginia. Let's listen to my conversation with Pam now. Welcome to the podcast, Pam, my sister, bestie, critique partner, (laughs) like everything. Absolutely. My sister from another mister. Yeah. Thank you. I'm like, I'm so, so, so happy to be here. I like, I'm incredibly proud of you. Like, I think it's been years since I always say that I want to be Raquel when I grow up, even though I'm older than Raquel. (laughs) Yeah. How about you and Kita? Because we we just admire you so much because when you set your mind to something, you get it done. So it it is like an extreme honor to be up here with you. I'll just say that. (laughs) It's a long time sometimes. <laughs> well, I actually feel that way about you. And we're going to get a little bit more into that, you know, as we, as this conversation goes on, but 
why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and you know, what you write, who you are? Oh, goodness. Okay, so Pam Harris, I am I'm currently living in Virginia. I am a mom of two kiddos, um, a toddler who's two named Easton and a two month old who's almost three months old. Um, and her name is Brooklyn. I have my PhD in counselor education. Um, I was a former school counselor, but I also have my MFA in creative writing. Let's see, I've been a, a school counselor for seven years, which was like one of the most amazing jobs I ever have. And it's interesting because I still have students sometimes that will find me on Facebook and will try to reach out to me and, you know, mm-hmm. just check in and just kind of seeing, like, I feel old, first of all, but just kind of like seeing what they're up to and, know who they're becoming and knowing that I might have had a little, little tiny part of it. That's just kind of like, it's like the most pride I have outside of like, you know, raising my own children. Um, And let's see, I've been writing since I could actually hold a pen or a crayon or a pencil. (laughs) And um, yeah, I don't know how much you want me to get into that right now, but I um, write um, contemporary young adult fiction, um, realistic It kind of took me a while to kind of find what voice I wanted to have as a writer. I think when I was younger, even in my 20s, because I was a creative writing major in undergrad, and then I got my MFA where I met the awesome Raquel, but um, I always was kind of more prone to writing short stories about adults or short stories featuring default white characters. And it seems like I had to give myself permission to write about what I really wanted to write about which is um, people that look like me. I wanted to create stories um, that I didn't have when I was a teenager, when I was in middle school, you know, stories that I was looking for. um, And that when I was a school counselor, my students would come to me and complain about the stories that were at the book fairs maybe, or even in the library, because they didn't really have anything that represented them. And so, you know, the more and more I saw that with my own students, the more and more I realized like, hey, I really want to start, you know, making a difference and being proud of like my background and where I came from. And so that's when I kind of made that veer and started to focus in on being more intentional about adding more diversity to my stories. And I love that because you guys were actually, you and Keto were the ones who got me into writing stories about people who look like me absolutely you know I you guys know this like my writing style in the early days I didn't like describing characters like how they look appearance wise and so because I wanted characters to feel universal and I never forget that conversation (laughs) that we had about um the default then now like when you don't describe the default going to white and I never I didn't know that um but that totally changed my whole perspective I think too in for you, I know, like, I, I, it's so weird. Like, I just have to brag on you for a moment. But I think when you kind of had that aha moment, like, your writing has just become so, like, I mean, you've always been a great writer to me. You know that. But I just think it's been, like, so much stronger now. Like, it's like I can really hear your character speaking. And it's like I can almost see them better Um, ever since I kind of start noticing that you, you're you adding more intention behind, like, okay, this is what they look like. This is who yeah. their family is. This is where they're from. So, I love that you made that that switch too. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, and I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but it's okay. I I think though, you know, that's part of like conditioning. You know, there was a little bit of conditioning there in early education and even early learning creative writing earlier, because I studied creative writing for my undergraduate too. Um, But there was like a little bit of a conditioning there, I think with, you know, 
sort of creating those universal characters because I remember like someone gave me that and it was meant to be a compliment you know like oh your characters feel so universal like it could have been anybody and I thought yeah that's that's great you know but <laughs> but yeah it's it's it is and it isn't <laughs> you know because um I I just remember growing up I struggled you know at one point I struggled with you know, an eating disorder and yeah I never had there were never any books that's the reason why I wrote you know the young adult novel that I have there were never any books that featured characters that struggled with the same things I did which is like the for me it was cultural foods yes <laughs> and like having a mother that cooked you know all kinds of not so healthy dishes <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know a lot of the stuff in Trinidadian dishes are fried <laughs> and struggling with that going to an all-white school too where like characters yep. didn't look, you know like people didn't look like me um and then you know those kids having you know different dishes that they ate um and knowing the food pyramid I suppose um there was like a real struggle with that for me and Absolutely. there were books that reflected yeah. that you know, the only, because I've always had issues with my weight. I've always been up and down. And even when I was at my smallest, I think I, you know, even suffer from body dysmorphia because I still saw that chubby little girl. And I know when I was especially younger and I grew up a lot of, um, I've, I've been in schools where I was like one of the only black students in the school. I think there were like three in total because my dad was military. And so we traveled to different bases a lot. And I remember the one, the first book that really spoke to me but didn't exactly look like me was um, Blubber by Judy Bloom because it wasn't, you know, there was a chubby girl in it and I never really read about another chubby girl. But unfortunately she was teased and picked on, but it's like, I, I felt that, you know, I felt kind of seen and I felt like, okay, you know, this is pretty much describing some of the, the jokes that I heard about me um, when I was growing up too as well, because I didn't really have anything to connect to it. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was from like the South, I was from Virginia. And I remember still when I was um, younger and we were in California and I had to point out like my city or my state on the map. And I was so excited to show everyone. And they were like, what's up Virginia? What's a new pregnant? <laughs> They're like, you're making this up. And they would make fun of my collard greens and fried chicken and, you know, things I like to eat from back home. And, you know, it, it really kind of made me feel alone. And so kind of you know, seeing that character and, and seeing what she was going through too as well in the Judy Bloom book kind of like, I don't know, it made me feel like I was a little less alone. And that, you know, that was my my way of escaping actually when I was young, I always had my head buried in a book. And so, like I said, it was nice to kind of see something that was almost an image or an idea of what I was going through basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. representation. That's what we've, that's what people have been saying forever right about representation representation is important and it matters absolutely yes yes so true and I'm, I'm glad now because there's so many like diverse books now that I wish I would have had when I was younger but I'm just like thinking like wow for this next generation and my kids they're going to have so many things that they can look at um and to read about yeah. themselves but I also think it's great that they're going to have more opportunities to read about people that also don't look like them yeah um you know, so I, I just think that's going to be great on all ends. And I'm not just talking about, again, the default white character, even though there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just right, talking about right. all kinds of background, like queer, um, disabled, you know, just all kinds of characters now that they're going to be more exposed to as they're growing up reading, which 
I'm so excited about. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so before we start getting into a little bit more about like, you know, the mindset work of a writer, I want, since we're on the topic of this, could you tell us a little bit about your new release? Yes. I'm sad. I still can't believe it. I still feel like I need to be pinched, but it's called When You Look Like Us. Um, it'll be published through Quiltry Books, um, HarperCollins. Um, it's it's her. I was re- I was listening to your interview with Jennifer Hillier, who I mean, mm-hmm. Creep is everything. Ew, oh my god, I love Creep. <laughs> I still it recommend is, Creep. Yes, yes, but um, I was reading that and I just felt like, oh my gosh, she she understands me when she said that she was awful at pitching her books. Because it's like, I mean, I can't like if I was in the elevator with someone and I had to tell them what my book was about. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I would have to keep saying like, well, hold on, give me one more second. Let's go to another floor because I'm not very concise or maybe I'm too concise sometimes. But when you look like this, it's pretty much, it follows um, Jay, this character named Jay, who um, at the time when the story starts, it kind of seems like his biggest concern, his biggest issue is, hey, I need to pay back my grandma because she's taking in me and my sister you know, his parents aren't around for, you know, various reasons. And so the grandma, you know, is taking in, you know, her two grandchildren, basically. And so he's doing all these like side hustles and everything, um, thinking like, you know what, I'm going to pay her back for everything that she's done for me. So I think he's carrying around that guilt that, you know what, she's done raising her kids. And now she has me and my sister to look after. And that's not fair to her. Um, you know, his life kind of is transitioned to because and living with his grandma, he's now living in public housing, too, which is unfamiliar with him. Um, and so because of that, in the way he kind of internalizes, like, well, this is pretty much it. This is my life. There's no really no point in me thinking about going to college or doing X, Y, Z, because I just need to make ends meet, be there for my grandma. Um, this is like my, my ceiling. I can't go beyond that. Um, but I guess like, you know, at the top of the story, too, we realize that his sister goes missing. She kind of gets involved with the wrong people in the neighborhood, um, and so Jay thinking it's just kind of one of her mishaps of like, okay, she's being flighty. She's, you know, doing what she does, but then, you know, she stops answering her phone. She's not coming home. It's like going beyond the usual cover up that he does when she breaks curfew. And so he realizes like, Hey, I have a real problem going on here. And it's interesting because as he kind of goes through this journey of trying to find his sister, you realize like um, all these kind of like guilt and fears and embarrassment that he had about being from his neighborhood. He kind of sees how it impacts other people's perception of what's going on with his sister. And I think in figuring that out too, he realizes like, Hey, wait a minute. Like it's not other people that just have those stereotypes. I kind of have like, I think a certain way about where I'm from too as well. And so, yeah, that's pretty much, I I know that was really wordy, um, but it is. (laughs) Thank you. It's like a mystery. It's like a noir. Um, I know, like, I used to love Veronica Mars when that was out. And even though, you know, that show really featured diverse characters, the lead wasn't, you know, a person of color. And so I really kind of wanted to bring that mystery, but feature a Black character from a neighborhood that's pretty much almost identical to where I grew up in when Mm -hmm. I was in high school. And um, I always say that this is like my love letter to Newport News, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, it's such a, it's an important story and it, it, it really hits home with me because I had a cousin who went missing. I remember you told me that. And actually I thought about that when I was writing this too, as well, sadly enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, people have, you guys have to read the book. You'll have to read the book to find out what happens. Yes, um, yes. Please read it. <laughs> please read it, yes. And we will, of course, link to all of that in the in the show. Awesome. For everybody, yes. 
Um, and January 5th, Pam? January 5th, yes. It's like literally, as, we're, as I'm talking to you right now, I see it's a, exactly a month from today. Yeah, oh yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> And it was a long road, right? It was a <laughs> long, I, I posted on Instagram the other day that I can't believe it. Cause when I flew to New York to, you know, finalize and, and, and plot out what was going on in this novel, I was pregnant with my son Easton. And then when I was doing like my finishing touches of the past pages and the copy edits, I was pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> I was like just a few weeks out of having her. So it is just like almost a two to three year gap of this whole process. And it just, it seems like it was really quick, but also it seems like it was really long in some aspects too. And you should absolutely be proud of it because it's been such a, see, I, I look up to you in that regard because you oh. really persevered in this process. So we're going to come back to that, but I want to hear a little bit about how you uh, started writing. And you, know, you mentioned that it was in the early stages, like since you could hold the pen, I, yeah. I feel the same is true for me because I, I used to make those little uh, like book stories where I would write it on construction paper. <laughs> tied up with the yarn or? <laughs> yeah, tied it up with the yarn and it was on like colorful construction paper illustrated. Yes. So I totally tell me a little bit about how you started. And then also like, what was that journey like to becoming a serious writer? Like when you started taking writing seriously, what? At what point was that? Oh, good, good. Yes. So it started off like I used to have collections of um, Lisa Frank notebooks, which yes, is like these really Lisa cool. Frank. Yes, they were everything. And like the my, my parents. Retrievers are like, yeah. And it's like my parents knew whenever they were in the store, they're like, okay, let me go ahead and grab one. I don't think she has this cover yet because they knew <laughs> that I would just like fly through those pages. Like it would be anything from like journaling to like me writing to-do lists to me jotting down story ideas or character sketches. Um, but I was always writing something. Um, my cousins and I, um, Kita, who we've mentioned a few times and her older sister, we would, whenever I spent the night over their house, um, we would always write stories. And it would be where we would write something front and back and then we would pause and wait for everyone's done. And then we would read it out loud to each other. So it was like, exactly. We were (laughs) workshopping before I knew that was a thing. Um, And I remember um, in class when it was time to do like the creative components, like my teachers will always give me really good feedback. Um, I, I remember there was one time, I think it was third grade where my story was chosen to go and read to the kindergartners because it was so great. It was about like a troll prince or something. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And so I got to read to other kids. And so that was the first time I felt like I, I'm a serious writer, <laughs> like at eight years old, like, wow, like I'm, I'm able to read my stories to people beyond just like my family members because I got to go to the kindergarten classes to share my, my story ideas and everything. Um, so, you know, I played around a bit. I, I wrote all throughout middle school, high school. Um, actually, my senior thesis in high school was um, we had to kind of create some kind of project and research it and have a final project product. And what I did was I did a screenplay based off the, I think it was a Shakespeare play, Troilus and Cressida. <laughs> and I called it Troy and Christina. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, so I really kind of studied screenwriting and, you know, try to like create the story and make it modern day. So that was like my first big foray into it. When I got into college, I actually started off undeclared, like no major, because um, I always felt like I never really met an author before, a published author. I thought that that was just a pipe dream. There was no way that I could be one myself. 
And so when people ask what I wanted to be when I grew up, it would range from being a lawyer um, to even being a choreographer because I used to love Janet Jackson. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well maybe I could like choreograph her videos or something. Um, but I really kind of, my dad really wanted me to get into accounting because I was like really good at math. Like I was in um, AP calculus by the time I graduated high school. Um, but I just didn't love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still, I still don't know how I did it because now I don't understand math at all. Like, because I remember when I went to college, I was able to um, test out. Like I didn't have to take the math classes. You know, I, I was just good at it. And so my dad was like, you should do something with numbers for your career. I remember like the classes didn't excite me. Um, and then I, I think I talked to an advisor when I was trying to figure out and they said, well, what do you love doing? What have you always done? Or what, you know, what's your favorite subject in school? And I'm like, I always loved English, um, especially when I got to do something creative related to it. And so I decided to go ahead and major in creative writing. I did like the workshops there. Before I even knew YA was a thing, I, tend, I tended to write about younger characters in high school specifically. And I remember one time in a workshop and I was so proud of this story. It was like, um, it's a short story about this teenager who, I mean, it was kind of dark and kind of inappropriate probably, but he was trying to lose his virginity. <laughs> he was trying to lose his virginity. And so his friend, it was Halloween night and his friends decided to take him to this like um, place that, you know, it was like this risque kind of like, I guess like a burlesque house or something along those lines. And um, he was going to like, try to like find, hook up with someone there. But then while he was there, he finds that his dad frequents that house. <laughs> you know, and so it was just like this huge shocker to him. And it, it was just a kind of the downfall of that. And I was just so proud of this story. I thought it was clever. It had, you know, moments of humor in it. I, I mean, it was one of the quickest ones that I wrote because I just felt like I connected with that story for some reason, like the voice. And I remember one of the guys in my workshop said, this seemed like this was a Freddie Prince Jr. movie. And at first I was like, well, dang. But then I realized <laughs> well, he said, it. To do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's all bad. That's awesome. You know, I know what you did last summer, but he said it in a way that was supposed to be like, no, this is awful. Like, this is, you know, what are you doing? And so after that, and you can probably relate to this, Raquel, because, you know, there's personally certain authors and stuff that you're supposed to admire. Um, I felt like, okay, well, I can't write about what I want to write about anymore. And so after that, I kind of retreated for a bit. And I, I figured like, I need to start writing more for adults and try to figure out what my adult voice is. I fell in love with Jodi Picoult, the author. Um, and I saw that she had a way to write about both adults and teenagers. And so my first serious novel I tried to write that wasn't a short story. I try to feature these wider range of characters like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got feedback from an agent who saw my first few pages and she was like, this sounds like a YA novel. Are you interested ever in writing YA? Because you have the perfect voice for it. And I was like, really? <laughs> and that's when I just start consuming everything YA, like Courtney Summers, Elizabeth Scott, um, just all these different, you know, authors that I didn't realize like there was a world out there that was specific towards this audience. And so I did my research when I was in my MFA program. Um, my thesis was I really wanted to focus on YA, like a, a novel. You know, I got my agent from that. And I mean, but it wasn't like overnight. It was, I, I aged it quite, I mean, I queried quite a long time. It seems like it was quick, but it was a lot. I remember for my um, first agent, I got her because I was actually on the last leg and I saw her interview on YA Highway, which was like a really popular <laughs> blog back in the day. I I, they were awesome. I wish I they would have, I wish they would do something uh, again, like the, those group of authors. But I yeah. saw her interview up there and I'm like, wow, she really seems like, you know, it seems like we would be a good fit. 
And at that point, I think I went through like three or four rounds of querying and I was almost about to get give up. And I was like, okay, this is like the last shot. Let me try her because I really like her. And it seems like, you know, she would know what to do with like, you know, someone like me. And um, she asked for a revision or revise and resubmit. I did that. And next thing I know, I'm at my office as a school counselor checking my email on my lunch break. And I saw that she says, hey, I think I would like to offer you, I would love to offer you representation. And I literally dropped like my phone and I put my head on my desk and I had to start crying. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what in the world? What is this? Um, But yeah. Um, So that's when I kind of like started taking it, you know, you know, seriously. It was like a a long journey, but you know, here I am now. and, And that's not even the end of it, but we can definitely talk about that soon. Because yeah. I thought, like, after that, oh, I'm done. I have an agent. Everything's great. Yeah, yep. let, yeah let's, let's get right into it. You know my agent process was very, very long. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> years long. Um, oh, my goodness. <sighs> um, but, yeah, I think I, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before, especially to, like, some of the writers I coach in our accountability program, that, like, you think you have these, you have these, milestones in your head and you think yep. like you get to this thing and, and then that's just gonna be it <laughs> yep yeah and even you might even get to those points and feel like you know I'm no longer going to be a fearful writer and I'm going to gain all this confidence because I will have this thing and actually that's not what happens yep <laughs> you actually probably <laughs> accumulate more of those issues that writers struggle with you know imposter syndrome and fear and all those things but really, there's always going to be another, another step, right? Yeah. You're never going to be at that point where you're like, wow, I just have like everything. Because I think even top authors who achieve like the ultimate level of success, you know, it's always something, view, right? What we view as success, right? Yeah. It's always something else. Well, like you hit the New York Times list, but like, how long can you stay on the New York Times Exactly. <laughs> always something else. And it's like, <laughs> so there's always going to be another step or milestone. Mm-hmm. So talk a little, I want you to talk a little bit about that. And like, after you got the agent now, what's the process like with selling the book? Cause that was a long process. <sighs> my goodness. One thing I loved about my, and I say former agent, we didn't part on bad ways. She actually, she left the business um, and she's incredible. She was one of my biggest cheerleaders. She still checks in with me today. So I have nothing but kind words to say about her. Um, me too, and I love her as well. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, she, and she's an editorial agent, which I knew I needed. Um, because whereas I was good with like, you know, developing characters and finding voice, I just like plot wise, I just couldn't find those beats. You know, it's like I was more of a character driven author as opposed to a plot driven author, which is interesting because I know we always get in these discussions about me being a plotter and you being a panzer. But but like my I guess like my plots are kind of more like what is my character going to do right now yeah. as opposed to knowing what the climax is and, and all those yeah. things that go along with it. But the first novel that she signed me for, you know, I, we, I mean, this thing has went through so many rounds of submissions. I think we tried it like two, two or three rounds the first time. We took a, a break. We submitted it again. I worked on something else. I would say probably, and I, I should have looked at my email timestamps, but I think that when I was with my agent, I spoke probably about eight or nine years without selling anything, to be honest with you. That's how long it was. And I'm sitting here thinking like, got my agent, everything's fine, but we've submitted one, two, I'm trying to think of how many novels in my head. I think I have four, four 
different novels on submission and within those eight to nine years yep yep and I think pretty much almost all of them at some point was so close like I think I've made it to acquisitions for at least two or three of those I remember and uh, yes and so like and then there was always something there was one holdout as to why it wouldn't get bought and so after a while, you know, I mean, I was, you know, an excited writer. I used to go to all these conferences. I used to be so engaged on Twitter. But then after a while, like, you know, I was like, well, I need to start focusing on like an actual career that's going to pay me money. <laughs> and so, you know, I took some time. I got my PhD. Um, you know, I started teaching counseling as opposed to being a school counselor. And I kind of like shifted gears. Like, whereas writing was still on the back burner, I felt like this is a dream that's not going to be realized even though I had like some of the greatest cheerleaders in my life, you know, I had you, I have my cousin Keita, I had my agent who was like, no, 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 this is, you know, this is really close. I believe in you, but it's like, I need to focus on something else because there's goals I need to have in my life. Having kids was one of them. And I knew that I needed to set up my world in a way where I could live comfortably to be able to focus on other things too as well. And so I couldn't put all my, my eggs in the writing basket. But in a way, I felt like I, I, that kind of frustrated me because I felt like kind of disconnected from that world for mm-hmm. you know the time being. And so when I would look at all the amazing things you were doing, I'm like, man, Raquel just got it. She just got it. <laughs> and every time I'm like, if I... Meanwhile, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I mean, you, you played it off so well because every time I leave like a phone call or FaceTime or when we get to see each other in person... It's like, I always felt so inspired to go back out and tackle something. And I remember, um, so finally, I think it was like eight years later. And the one thing I will say about this, about being on submission is that a lot of editors started to connect with me and they were like, man, I really wish we could have bought this, but I really do love, you know, Pamela's voice. Please keep me in mind. Like, I really want to see what she has next. Cause I just, I really want to find a chance to work with her. So I, I had a couple of um, editors that were saying that, which was great, which was you know, reassuring to a degree. And then there were some um, projects that are called IP. And for the life of me, I cannot tell you what IP stands for. <laughs> Do you know, Raquel? <laughs> I did once upon a time, but yes. I always have to look it up. Exactly. Um, but yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll see if I can. you look it up. It. Okay. Yeah. So there were, I, I want to say I was offered maybe two or three, like I got an opportunity to audition for IP projects which I guess is kind of like a way of like these in-house ideas, you know, where an editor will have an idea for a story and they will even kind of like help plot it out, but they want to find the right author to kind of like match up with that story. And so there were several opportunities where I got to audition for it. And I remember it happened so often that, you know, and it, again, I would be like, I remember one time I was in the final three for one for a celebrity, actually, who wanted to get somebody to write something for a celebrity author. And again, it fell through. And so when this opportunity came for the book that is now When You Look Like Us, it wasn't even called that then. And it was pretty much almost drastically different than what it looks like now after I came on board. I saw it, they were like, we really want to, you know, set a mystery in, you know, a, a setting, like a, a urban setting, not urban, like saying Black people, but actually urban in the inner city, basically, um, you know, featuring like these diverse characters. And I'm like, wow, like, it, it just kind of seemed like something snapped with me because I realized, again, like, you know, I, I love mystery films. I love mystery TV shows. So I was like, you know what? It's interesting. I watched so much of this, but I've never seen anyone that looks like me. So it just seems like this was almost meant to be. 
And so I wrote my first couple of pages. I talked to the editor, um, editor who was actually um, steering the project. And we just had so many likes and things in common that it seemed like it was almost like, you know, one of those like dating websites. And I was like, still, but still a part of me was like, uh, but I've been down this road before. <laughs> like, so something's going to fall through. We'll see what happens. But they end up flying me to New York. This is when I was pregnant with my first son and we connected. And um, one thing I loved about that whole process is that, you know, usually I think IP gets this bad rap, like, okay, you're basically just turning out a story, you know, somebody else kind of like had the idea for you, but it was a collaborative process. This story was originally supposed to be set in Chicago. <laughs> um, and I was like, ah, well, I don't really know too much about Chicago. And um, so I kind of shared about my background, my experience of growing up in Newport News. And I remember the team was like, this sounds amazing. You know, why don't you set the story like in the neighborhood that was like yours? You know, like bring bring some of your world to this, you know, paper. So to this um, novel. So there were characters that were designed off of people that I knew growing up. Um, there was a lot of um, plot points that they kind of consulted me with, or like I, I said, hey, I want to throw this out there that they were really receptive to. So whereas like the the I guess the the faint sketch of the story was pretty much the same. We knew we wanted to have a story about a, a boy whose sister goes missing. I think that in me having such a collaborative voice, it shaped it to what it is today, which is again, like I said, that love letter to Newport News and also something that kind of looks at the systemic issues that black people face. And, you know, and I try to do that in a way that's not preachy, but, you know, I think it's important to address like, hey, there are some, some areas where we're not considered equal. And I, I wanted that to be shown in a subtle way and having this young character realizing like, wait a minute, like people look at me differently. Like, what's this about? And, you know, he's aware of it. But then again, he's also aware that all that you know, stuff perpetuates how he feels about himself, too, as well. So I think a lot of that kind of took shape more once I kind of kind of got involved, which I was really appreciative about. Yeah. And here I am now. <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. I. I looked it up and I, the only thing I could find is intellectual property. Oh, um, okay. But, but it's also, it's associated with, you know, book publishing and I guess the kind of rights that come along with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But, but I will say like so many big books and amazing books have come out of IP. And I think like the thing is that authors are so different in writing style and you know how they tell a story like you and I can tell the same we could have the same concept and yep. tell the story completely different right yeah um and that shouldn't be criticized because like <laughs> at the end of the day like you still wrote the story and that's you true your spin on it your own words your own experiences and yes. nobody would have been able to produce what you did so I mean, general concept maybe was there, but it was totally your creation. So I, you I, it love, I love the way that you framed that. I love it. What, yeah. what gave me hope was when I was actually meeting with them and they were telling me about some of the authors that they work with. And then one in particular, which is like a huge novel and you know became a movie and everything afterwards. And but they told me like, oh, yeah, this was meant to be like, for example, this was meant to be like a horror thriller. And, you know, we brought along this author and now it's like this light rom-com that everyone loves. <laughs> and I, so, so that kind of gave me like, oh, wow. So they really do care about what we as the writers can bring to the story. So even if they have something initially in mind, if something else fits, you know, they're going to go that way too as well. So 
it, it was almost a, to a degree like having like this really incredible um, critique partner. Yes. <laughs> so when, whenever I was done with a chapter or a section, they were like, oh yeah, I really like this. Have you thought about that? Or I'm so glad that you edited this component in. So again, it really didn't feel like I had like somebody like sitting here dictating and say, do this, do that. It was more of like, this is like a route that we think that this should go. How you get to that point, we're going to leave it up to you basically. And yeah. you know, I got to have fun and play with it. So yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, like you have a book. Out. Yes. <laughs> you people criticizing do you have books <laughs> there you go Raquel snap snap <laughs> I mean and that's and honestly Pam it's such a huge accomplishment and e- even so like this could open doors right it, yes. it's going to open up more doors for you you're going to be able to tell more of your stories in the future yes which is scary and, I mean but exciting. I am so proud of you <laughs> I, you know, I'm one, I'm one of your cheerleaders. So I, I really wanted you to share that story because I think it's so important for writers to realize that sometimes you're going to have roadblocks and you're not going to be able to control the time frame of things, right? Like Mm -hmm. the only thing you can control is writing and producing work. But as far as time frame goes, that's something that is out of your control. And you have to have, I think, certain tools within your mindset to allow you to persevere and I, I talk about this all the time but you can't work it's really about uh working daily on mm-hmm. those issues that we struggle with and and acknowledging them because you're never it's not that you're never going to have a negative thought you will but it's about being able to see those negative thoughts acknowledge them and maybe you can feel your feelings, feel your feelings for the second or the moment, but then you move on, right? I'm, I would never tell anybody to ignore how they feel because you do have to feel that, right? We're humans, but we also need to not live there, right? Yep. And that's what Absolutely. does. Yeah, it gives you the tools to kind of move on. Go ahead. And I keep, you know what? I keep that in mind. Like I hear your voice because I, I would be the first to admit that I am like my own worst critic. Like there's just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it, it's just, it's terrible, you know? And I can like see like the positive of so many other people, especially when they're at their lowest. And I guess that's the counselor part and the writer part of me. Um, but for myself, it really kind of takes a lot for me to be like, wow, you did this. Give yourself a pat on the back. Or, you know, I, I feel like I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know? And so I have to kind of coach myself, like give yourself the same love that you give to other people. And, you know, that's just like a constant reminder that I have in my head like every day. Like I allow myself to feel low, you know, like you said, because feelings are good. But yeah. I think it's also important to kind of figure out how do you pick yourself back up? You know how to pick up other people. So what can you do to pick yourself back up, basically? And, you know, I we all are like that, right, where we criticize what we do and we think the worst of just, about, you know, everything that it involves us and even our work. But I just rem- I remember you were you remember Paige Lavoie, right? She was with us. Yes, at uh-huh. on, yes, I do. Um, so Paige said one time in a presentation, she she was talking about a um, little bit of touching on mindset work. And I think it was like a NaNoWriMo workshop. And she said, anytime you have a negative thought about yourself, I want you to ask yourself if you would say that to your, your, your writer friend. Because all of us that. tend to have like a community. And she's like, would you say this to your friend if your friend was having this low moment 
would you then now tell your friend this horrible thing that you're saying to yourself? And she's like, that's how, that's one of the ways that you can like kind of catch yourself is by hearing what you're saying, that negative self-talk and asking yourself if you would say that to another person, if the answer is no, then, you know, why are you saying it to yourself? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's a, um, it's an uphill climb, but I mean, it's, it's critical, yes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, but I'm convinced that this is, I've, I've, I've seen so many writers come into the studio. I've worked with so many writers and I am convinced that this is the reason writers give up. It's the mindset. And I think that one thing that's been really important for me is having like surrounding myself with writer friends and writing community. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. they're not going to talk to me like the way I talk to myself, right? And if I have a down moment, I can go to a writer friend and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And they'll cheer me up. And they know what I'm going through. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's an excellent um, point. And I think that's yeah, why- Keeping um, yourself grounded. Yes, yes. I, I think that's why when um I was saying like whenever I'm like done talking to you or done talking to Kita or even attending um, a writer's conference, mm-hmm. I leave so rejuvenated. You know, I could I could start off like whatever this venture is kind of like down the dumps about myself. Like this is never going to happen. You know how I felt for those eight plus years. But then something will happen where I get inspired by someone else or even seeing someone else's success story. You know, I I, I just feel like it kind of lights my fire again. And I'm like, you know what? I got this. I could do this. So I I think that community aspect is so critical, so important. So you mentioned, let me just ask you this, since you mentioned someone, you see somebody else's success and you get excited. Is that how you approach seeing everybody's good news because I know like there are some writers who suffer a little bit from comparisonitis right they see oh yeah (laughs) and then they're like oh what what about what about what what about me (laughs) yes this person just got a deal and I am still here you know struggling to to get my (sighs) thing sold or struggling to get an agent or struggling to even press press the publish button how do you handle that that's a tough one. Oh, that's so you 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 hit me in, in the soul right there. Because I remember when I was school counseling, I would get to my office early in the morning before the students would get there. I would get, you know, iron out what's gonna happen for the day. And one of the first things I would do um, before the students got there is I would check the publisher's marketplace deal report and kind of see like daily, like, okay, who who sold a YA novel? And I realized after a while that was really bad for my my mental well-being. Because that was especially when I was like in the trenches, like, okay, you know, thinking like, oh, I have my agent, everything's going to be fine. And then I'm seeing all these other people who literally would get their agent and then a month or so later sold their book, including yeah. sometimes my agent. <laughs> I think I probably even shared that with you. I'm like, wait yes. a minute, like I introduced you to my agent and you signed with her and now she sold your book. Like what is going on? Um, and that's so a, I was, That's a different ballgame oh even too of- Yes. Yeah. So I had to like, you know, stop that first of all, because I I think like it's important when you, especially when it happens to like a a good friend of mine or someone that I understand kind of came from a similar background, like I want to be your biggest cheerleader. But after a while too, it's like, oh, okay, like this is great. But you know, when am I going to be invited to the table basically? Um, So I had to kind of find that balance of being in the know of what was going on in the industry, but not allowing that to be the, the way I begin my day. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I had to kind of like stop myself at that point and 
So I, I end up just subscribing to Publishers Weekly, which I think gives you updates like once or twice a week, depending on if there's a holiday, which I can handle it in small doses. But the Publishers Marketplace looking every day, like obsessively to this day, I have stopped doing that. Like I just can't do that anymore because it's, it's just not good for me. But I still love hearing the updates of like who is selling what. Yes. But then, it, but then it gets to the point, like you said, there's always something. Because even after I got the book deal, finally, it was like, wow, like these people have way more followers than me. Or wow, <laughs> these people are, are is getting so much more publicity, you know, for their book. Like what is going on? And again, it's like one of those things. And I think it's kind of like, like Raquel, if you guys don't know, she's like the greatest wing woman ever. Because it's one of those things where I realize it's like, it's myself getting in my way. It's like, I'm so like afraid of rejection because I faced it for so long that these opportunities that I can have, I limit myself from actually going after them because I'm already afraid of the word no. And which is really weird. Like I actually like attempted to do something last night and I got like positive feedback from it. And I'm like, but I literally wasted weeks, weeks of not reaching out to ask for assistance or ask for help with something because I just assume like that person's going to be too busy. That person's going to say no. And you know what? I, I ripped the bandage off and it ended up being fine. But then I even had to think like, even if it wasn't fine, like I wasted time, you know, I could have like done something else <laughs> because yeah, I, I was just sitting in the fear and like, I'm, I'm so quick to like, you know, tell other people like, go for it, you can do it. And if there's like an author that they really want to meet, I'll walk up to them and, you know, say like, Hey, this is my, my cousin, this is my friend. Yeah. And, but I don't, I don't do it enough for myself. And I don't know what that is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, I don't know how it happens, but I, because I, I, I definitely, I don't, I, I definitely struggle with, you know, confidence sometimes. And it, yeah. sometimes there, I have experiences where it, it sets me back a little bit, like it, it stings and it'll stop me, you know, from doing something, but it usually stops me temporarily because I get this, I don't know what it is. It's this little spark that just goes, well, I'll show you. Yes. <laughs> I have to like get up and be like, well, that one thing didn't work, but I'm going to do something better then. That's what that means. I love that. Yeah. I guess that goes back to part of like, I believe in a lot of woo-woo stuff, right? So Uh (laughs) for me, even though whatever no happens, things, but I believe that rejection is redirection. So whatever. I put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Rejection is a redirection. Yes. Yeah. Whatever thing happened to me it's it's protection it's that was not my path I'm not supposed to go that way I am supposed to go this way and that no is pushing me towards whatever way I'm supposed to go um Mm -hmm. and I've I know that in the moment you can't see that but every single time it has happened to me like the no it's always setting me up for something else and it's usually something better and I'll be honest, like the whole agent experience, like querying, that's rough. Like 93 rejections is really rough. <laughs> oh my goodness. Year after yes. year revising and changing, and then it's uh-huh. still not good enough, quote unquote. And, you know, that that's a rough process. Um, but I think about it now and I'm like, my agent wasn't agenting when I first started querying. That's so true. So all of those no's, it was like, you know, you need to wait for this one. Because this mm-hmm. is your agent. She's not agenting right now. So all you're going to have to have these no's for this period of time. That's how I see it. And almost in every case, that's how it's been. 
that's interesting because I can even circle back because when I was saying all those rejections I got from editors, the editor that I end up um, that bought when you look like us, he was one of my biggest cheerleaders years ago. Um, he actually loved, fell in love with two of my stories, and that you know he bought both of them as you know trying to get by both of them at some point. And I remember he just kept me in mind, like he really really wanted to work with me. And so when this came along, it just kind of felt like it was meant to be. Like, you know, all those different no's um, kind of led me back to him where I was supposed to be all along because now it's just like, hey, this is who I wanted to work with and we found a way to make it happen. Um, yeah. It just had, it just had to be the right story. Yeah, absolutely. I love that though. I'm, I'm going to actually hang it in my office. Like my office walls are bare right now, but I'm going to put in that whole rejection is redirection. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's so true, and which is weird because you know, as a counselor, I work with you know clients and students, and I always say if you're dealing with a resist a resistful a resistant client who doesn't want to move along in the counseling process, you know, one of my counselor friends have said that they're not being resistant; they're being self protective. You know, and so that made me think of that that they're protecting themselves for some reason because they're not ready to open up yet. And I kind of like I wish I could kind of apply that same mindset to the writing world too as well on myself, if that makes sense. Um, because it, 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 it clicks for me in a counseling session, but it, you know, I want it to click for me more often as a writer, um, basically. Like the reason why I'm resistant to do certain things is because I'm trying to protect myself from being fearful, like, you know, being rejected. But what do, what do I do to kind of get over that hurdle basically? And um, yeah. that's something I'm still discovering on a daily basis, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you will. I think, again, it's practice, right? Yes. You practice to, to do that. Um, Absolutely. And let me just say here, I did not make that quote up. Um, I listen to a lot of business coaches, and that is like a philosophy that is taught in like business. So. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, just think, I just took it and applied it to writing. So one thing I want to ask you, you know, before we start wrapping up here is how do you take care of your mind then outside of writing? You know, like what kinds of things do you do to kind of just, you know, come down a level and yeah. um, really yeah, rest because rest is so important to mindset work. So how do you treat your mind kindly outside of writing? I'm a fan of rituals. Um, I've learned this from the counseling world, like the school counseling world, because as someone like, you know, when you are working with students going through things, like you're on the front lines of someone, you know, discovering something else is going on with them mentally or emotionally. And, you know, I would hear horror stories as a, as a school counselor. And for my first year or so, I would take these stories home with me because um, I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Like I, I should still, I should be in this building 24-7 um, because I feel like I'm not doing enough for these kids. But yeah. I realized I had to let some of that go. So it was something very small that I did. Um, when I was in the building, I had this lanyard around my neck and it had my, my school badge, my school ID and like my office key. And I remember um, at the time I was miss and not doctor, um, but I would come into the house, I would have my lanyard on and I would say, I am no longer Miss Harris. And I would take off the lanyard and hang it up in the spot that I had in my room. I'm, I am now Pam. And like, just kind of like that whole process of lifting the lanyard over my head and saying those words out loud, allow me to kind of be like, all right, I'm taking care of myself and I'm focusing in on me and, you know, my needs right now. I can't, you know, because I know that I can't be the best school counselor I can be if I'm not taking care of myself. And so I think the same thing really does apply to the, the writing world, especially when um, I've dealt with so much rejection. 
the things that make me feel good are like re- reading. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, yes. just kind of just, oh, like just escaping into a really good novel. And, you know, and, and, and in a way, if, if I'm able to take off my writer head um, while I'm reading it, then I know that that author is doing something right. Because I'm not just kind of looking at like, oh, wait a minute, like I wouldn't have, have chosen this or this is like a weird plot point or this character isn't fully developed. But if I can kind of get lost into it and not think about those moments, then, you know, that's just like the greatest moment for me. Um, so reading really helps me a lot. But if I completely want to get away from the, the writing world, I do a lot of... Um, <laughs> Besides, okay, let me let me talk about the healthy things I do. I love to go for walks because um, to me that helps that, that gets the yes. ideas out. I especially love walking um, with my cousin um, Marquita because when we're both walking together, we both brainstorm together. Like if she's like stuck on a plot point, we talk about it. If I'm stuck on one, or if there's a character that's not connecting, we just kind of uh-huh. like talk it out. And, and that's literally the only time that we have in our crazy days yeah. is when we go on these like 20, 30 minutes walk, walks. We can do that. Um, but also if I just really want to escape, I love, I love, love, love watching Lifetime movies. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but that, that is my self-care and Raquel has gotten us into the Hallmark, um, holiday movies. Hallmark I, is actually, my self-care. <laughs> oh my goodness. I actually, I think I watched a Hallmark one last night that I had on, on DVR, but yeah. So that's just like, if I just want to just self-care, take care of myself, it's like, you know, playing with the kiddos and it's watching my Lifetime movies. So that kind of just helps me. So that way, once I'm able to relax, I can come back in, get myself in front of this laptop or notebook and start putting in the work basically. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's so important to do it too. It's really, yeah. we forget because we're so busy with- So go, go, go with everything. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know I forget it often. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think having, but I think having, having small ones in your life really kind of changes your perspective too. Cause I know yeah. you have like, you know, your niece and nephew, but just kind of like making sure like you have to be present when there's a kid around you, you oh, know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, I get myself up my own head because I know like, Hey, you know, they need mama right now and I, I need to give them my full attention. So yeah. that really helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I recently was talking to a friend last night about another writer friend who said that she's been writing for like a couple hours and like she right now is writing full-time she's starting a new job soon so that would change will change but she's writing full-time at the moment and she writes for a couple hours and then reads for a couple hours and then goes back to writing and I'm like whoa that I mean that shouldn't be something that's that (laughs) blows my mind right because I'm always I always view it as like these are two separate things you know, but mm-hmm. we were talking about reading to get in a zone, right? So like for me, sometimes if I'm writing YA and I'm also writing romance, I need to re- be reminded of like the voice and the feel of yeah. something. So I read a little bit and she was like, well, I read between writing and I'm like, and then you're getting like a little bit of it a just, break. That just too. clicks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I want to try that out because you can That'll change be- the time you know, you could be like, yeah. okay, I'm like 30 minutes, read for, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. That's like um, my ideal schedule. I have to kind of work yeah. out like my day, how, how the, I can squeeze that in. Cause I love that. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, if a, if a writer is, uh, I guess, trying to reach a goal, and this yeah. is one of the questions that I ask all the time on here, if they're trying to reach a goal and maybe they're even struggling a little bit, feeling discouraged. Uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, great question. 
I, um, for me, what works for me and what I've realized too in putting my counselor head on when I'm working with clients or students that are trying to reach a goal is to break it down into manageable chunks. I'm like someone that I can't um, just sit down and just like hours on straight, just kind of like focus on something. Um, I feel accomplished if I'm like, okay, you know what? Today, I think I want to focus in on coming up with like my character sketches, you know, for example, or today, maybe I want to focus in on um, figuring out what my ending's going to be, even if I haven't written a word. Because I remember that was something I heard from another writer at a conference was like, once yeah. you figure out your ending, that's going to be more helpful for you to try to finish that, that draft. And so if I like, even if I can't devote and sit down like a whole hour or two hour of getting words actually on the paper, I think mm -hmm. of other things that will kind of contribute towards that, that makes me feel accomplished. So I, my thing is like always break down your goals into manageable chunks, even if it's the querying process. Like, you know what, today I'm going to research five lit agents or today I'm going to look at my favorite authors and look at their acknowledgements, you know, just to pull out three or four of them and see who their literary agent is and find out more about them. So just kind of like, don't think that you have to like, you know, tackle the world all in one day, all at once to try to find out something that's going to help you take those big steps toward that goal. So I, I, I think that would be like the, the best piece of advice I can give. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so many of us, I do that too, where I'm like, I got to do all these things. I got to do everything right now. Yes. <laughs> that's <laughs> Kina. That's my cousin Kina. And it's like, we're so, and I have to tell her, I'm like, you can stop. You know that, right? Like it doesn't have to be done tonight. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right. this, you know, this has been such a great conversation, Pam, like the best. I love this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just, I felt like it was so easy for us because, you know, we have such a personal relationship, you know, outside. Absolutely. Of um, but uh, for the folks listening in, where can they find you? You know, where are you hanging out online? Where can they find out more about you and your book? Great. Um, I am on, I'm actually like Raquel has been coaching me. So I'm doing better with Instagram now a little bit, but they can find me at um, Pam Harris writes. Um, that's my Twitter handle too, as well at Pam Harris writes. And that's actually my website is Pam So it's like pretty easy, universal to find throughout. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th those are the, my main hangouts. And um, I have a couple of other like interviews and places I'll be there that's coming up. So if you check out any of those handles, including my website, it will keep you updated for all booky things happening as well as some things that are happening in my personal life if you guys care about it I don't know but yeah that's where you can find me <laughs> I care <laughs> thank you sis sure, don't worry Pam it's coming yes um, <laughs> wait you mentioned the followers earlier and I'm like just wait <laughs> <It's not> <laughs> coming. <laughs> all right well, I'm excited so yes thank you so much for being here Pam Thank you, Raquel. This was great. And everybody, like Raquel is like, the, the best cheerleader that she could be. So if you have her in your life, you are in good hands. I will just say that. Yes. <laughs> there you go. I am so, so honored to have Pam on the podcast, y'all. She has always been a huge inspiration to me. And let me tell you right now, you need to read her debut novel, When You Look Like Us. There's still time to pre-order it. The subject matter is actually something that is so near and dear to my heart. I think it's going to be a really important book. So link to order is in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. And 
We're going to be giving away a copy of Pam's book to our listeners. All you have to do is screenshot that you're listening to this episode, share it on social media, and tag Pam and Writers Atelier. That's it. Our social handles are in the show notes. We'll randomly select one lucky winner. I'm so excited for the year ahead, you guys. I know there's still a lot of uncertainty for many of us, but at the end of the day, we still have our hope, right? And I'm going to cling to that hope. Wishing you all continued writing success for 2021 and beyond. Thanks, as always, for listening, you all. If you're enjoying The Right Mindset, I encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also check out Writers Atelier at writersatelier.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you're interested in joining our membership, you can do so through Patreon. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Allie Grauer. Take care and happy writing life.